0: When we talk about music, we are always referencing the past. That goes for new music as well as anything from last year or long ago, all of which points to what came before it. When we listen to music, we hear the distillation of past elements and their reassemblage. We hear the artist defining their present and reaching towards the future. Music's past is littered with ideas that have been rendered static, either because they have been abandoned or, ironically, because they became so revered that they were set apart and put on a pedestal, out of reach, becoming ossified, turning into museum pieces. Dom Flemens takes a hammer to the glass cases enclosing these museum statues and a shovel to the fields filled with music's buried relics. His mind and his muse work a bit like Dr. Frankenstein's lab as he revives music that was at turns largely forgotten or considered untouchable. The result is anything but monstrous, though. Dom's audio alchemy gives us something we seldom hear. Music that embraces centuries-old forms at the same time that it gives them a subtle but pretty thorough 21st-century makeover. From his creation of organic beats, to his album breathing new life into the seldom-told stories of black cowboys, Dom Flemons reminds us that the art of invention is as dependent on those practicing it in their present as it is upon the work of everyone who listened to their muse and made their mark long ago. Coming up, you will hear my conversation with Dom, as well as music from his album Prospect Hill, starting with the song you're hearing now, which leads off the collection, the tune called Till the Seas Run Dry, as well as selections from that record's reissue disc of bonus material. Plus, you will hear Dom joining up with Reverend Peyton and Steve Cropper on a new cover of Shake Your Moneymaker, Dom is as engaging as he is entertaining. And here he has much to offer to both people who have followed him closely since his days as a founding member of the Carolina Chocolate Drops and to those who might not know much about him or about old time and roots music at all. Welcome to Southern Songs and Stories. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, and this is our episode on the American songster, Dom Fleming. And Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio WNCW at WNCW.org. Before we hear from Dom Flemons, I have to admit that the quality of audio in his interview is not the best, and that's my fault. We spoke in person before his drive in show in September 2020 at Isothermal Community College, which is home to WNCW. I used my trusty handheld recorder, which includes its built-in microphone and allows for plugging in external microphones, which we used in our conversation. But I accidentally had the recorder set to use the built-in microphone, which was pointed away from us. Thanks to WNCW audio engineer Sean Rubin for processing that audio and making it sound much better. Our conversation starts out with talk about Prospect Hill, Dom's 2014 album, which was reissued in 2020 with an extra disc of songs made up of alternate versions of songs from the original album, as well as songs that showcase Dom Fleming's love of ethnographic recordings from the Library of Congress. The album title refers to the North Carolina town of the same name, where you can still find the Warren Store, which was built by slaves in 1849. It was an era that saw nearby Hillsboro become the state capital, something I was unaware of before reading Dom's liner notes.
1: That album was very interesting in the way that we found a lot of different angles in which to present cultural history. Because nowadays, in 2020, people are, are much more conscious of the idea of evoking culture and how that can heal people, and you know, evoking history or evoking a sense of. I guess oneself, whatever that might mean culturally, especially in the United States. We have so many cultural elements that when presented, there are so many things that can enrich our lives. And so at that time, um, I was working with Music Maker Relief Foundation and uh, Timothy Duffy, um, who does a lot of the tintype photography for um, a lot of my work. And he um, was traveling around in Prospect Hill, North Carolina, and found this this beautiful place, the Warren Store, which was this general store. It was just in a town where there was maybe, to this day, I think there may maybe a hundred people in the town. It was just this gigantic general store, the house where the Warrens who owned the store lived, and then the post office, and that was really it. And as we began to get to know the Warren family, they told us this very multifaceted history of how the general store was not only a store, but it was a general meeting place, the House of Commerce, and then uh, uh, Pat Warren, who's the descendant we talked to, mentioned that uh, Prospect Hill used to be the capital of North Carolina after it was in Eden, Edenton, North Carolina. So it was kind of the halfway point before it then centralized itself into Raleigh. So it was when Western Carolina's sort of the well, when the Middle Piedmont was the western part of North Carolina, that became the capital there. So it was very interesting to start seeing a whole other side of the history that went beyond the music, um, in one sense. But um, in another sense, at the Warren Store, they had a, a gigantic placard that was dedicated to um, the Warrens' service as an RCA. Um, Victor record distributor within the Warren store. So it had this sort of multi-layered idea of local history while being a conduit into the outside world, you know. They even had party lines that had three numbers for Roxborough and, and uh, Hall River and stuff like that too. So they even had local party lines still on the on the wall from way back.
0: Wow. You know, it it's one of those moments where you're reminded that music and history is that kind of rabbit hole that tells you it makes you realize that you don't really uh, learn anything until you realize how little you already know
1: absolutely because music is entertainment it can also just be taken at face value you can hear a song like a song and really love it and walk away from it but when it comes to a lot of the uh, particularly with old time folk songs, they tend to, um, they they have lasted the test of time in of themselves, and part of the reason is that they tell cultural stories that still resonate with people, and that's one of the things that I was always interested in. Um, back when I was uh, coming up in Arizona, I studied literature and English in college, and I was first drawn to folk songs by just the music itself. I just really liked how it was very exhilarating, especially when I heard like bluegrass music for the first time. It was so fast and frantic sounding and it was really neat in that way. But then as I started to delve deeper into the literature of music and the way that music has been documented over a a long period of time, whether in the folkloric sense or in the recorded sense and commercial or you know recordings from the Library of Congress it it just interested me and it took me deeper into the journey of culture and then of course once I left Arizona and came out to North Carolina and the different parts of the country and the world as I toured then I got to go to the physical locations of all these places so then there was a there was a a song a name a place and a a culture to each of those places that was so um, distinctive Um, like I guess in a small way, you know, in the South, food is a, is a, a huge part of the culture, you know, for example, like when I'm, for in the West, if you were to say that we were going to have barbecue, barbecue could be a variety of food, but in North Carolina, I found that barbecue was a very specific type of pork-based, um, vinegar-based many times, based on the region, uh, sauced food that had a specific Flavor, purpose, and way that it was made. And, and, and music is the same type of way. It can, it can tell you about the region. It can tell you about the people that made the music. And that's something that has continued to keep me on the journey.
0: Dom's musical journey began in his native Arizona, which seems an unlikely place for someone to get turned on to the acoustic blues, traditional jazz, and old-time music that he came to be known for. Luckily for all of us, he came across Sule Greg Wilson, who describes himself as an archivist historian, teacher, cultural healer, and urban shaman, storyteller, musician, yogi, producer, writer, and who is currently director of Path Media, where he offers speaking engagements, workshops, and performances on post-African and world culture and spirituality. In considering Dom's life work and contributions in the music world, I believe the importance of this early connection cannot be overstated.
1: When I first met Sule Greg Wilson, it was an interesting sort of meeting. Um, when I first, so when I was in grade school, I started playing the drums, that was my first formal training. And I didn't start playing the guitar until I was a junior in high school, and then I began to start learning songs. So fast forward several years down the road. Um, I was part of the local folk scene in Phoenix, Arizona, and I used to play at the festival and was part of the coffeehouse scene. And so one week I happened to see Sule Greg Wilson. There weren't a lot of African-American performers in the scene. And so when I met Sule, he performed with only a tambourine in his hand. He sang a beautiful um, spiritual number called Have You Got the Spirit, sort of a song to get everybody amped up. And he had a beautiful tambourine with a cross on it, it was playing gospel tambourine. And after... He performed that night. He came up to me and he told me about an event called the Black Banjo Gathering. And that was when I first uh, made my very first trek out to North Carolina, was from Suley's invitation. And leading up to the gathering itself, Suley had collected quite a bit of information on African-American string band music in his own research. And so he allowed me to look into his archives and spend some time listening to a lot of different recordings. And, and we talked a lot about the, the philosophical half of the music. And and then after the gathering, then after I moved out to North Carolina, uh, he and I, along with Rhian and Giddens, started a group called Sankofa Strings, which was a, a group that was dedicated to, um, I guess, uh, showcasing the idea of African-American string band music in the context of blues and jazz, because there are a lot of stories that tend to intersect those type of music uh, genres and um, at the time string band music was something that was discussed briefly but it wasn't really delved uh, into in a in a, uh, a full scale sort of way at that time you know so it was still a sort of a new idea to bring string band music into the blues and jazz realm so we did that first And after I moved out to North Carolina, Renan and I started a group with Justin Robinson called called Carolina Chocolate Drops, which was kind of the companion group. And we focused on the music of Joe Thompson, who was someone I met at the Black Banjo Gathering in 2005. And so we had these two groups going on. But Sule was really wonderful because he introduced me to the idea of Sankofa. And Sankofa is this beautiful West African proverb that means go back and fetch it, bring the things from the past into the present and into the future. And it's depicted by this little bird that's um, touching its beak to its back wing, representing the lessons it's taken into the future. Yeah. So Sule taught me some m- musical things, of course, and and exposed me to a lot of beautiful recordings. But there were a lot of interesting philosophical ideas through his experience of African drumming that that he taught to me that I, I've applied to my approach to roots music in, in several different ways, in a more of a I guess an abstract way because. You know, a lot of people ask me, well, why do you do these songs that are 100 years old, and there's a power to doing that, to bringing these, these songs from the past and bringing it into the present and then leading a new way into the future with this, um, you know, this, the stuff that makes our culture so strong, and so that's one of the things that um, Suley taught me early on.
0: Going Backward Up the Mountain, from Dom Fleming's Prospect Hill, The American Songster Omnibus, the reissue of his 2014 album with an extra disc of material, including that song. It's, as Dom says in the liner notes, a cinematic theme song that embodies the meaning of the Ashanti proverb Sankofa, which he spoke about in the interview. If the original album did not make it clear that Dom was mapping out new musical territory with a kind of meticulous passion for synthesizing music's past, then disc two of the reissue surely does. You can still enjoy the music, as Dom said earlier, by taking it at face value, but for anyone interested in stepping across the portal between music and cultural traditions that are over a century old, and being able to pull those back across that threshold into the present, this extra material is a revelation. Take, for example, his exploration of organic beats as he draws a direct line from the hypnotic drum and Fife music of Mississippi and Georgia from artists like Other Turner and Sid Hemphill to hip-hop of the modern era in the song Georgia Drumbeat. As aware as he is of what these far-flung styles have in common, Dom is also well-equipped to detail how what we think of as distinct genres got to be that way. I asked him about where we stand with answering this question, which he said we need to answer. Why is country music white? And why is blues music black?
1: Well, you know, funny enough, in 2020, we still struggle with many of the same, the same, uh, perceptions of what music should be, but this is one of the things about the categorization of music, is that it, if for decades and decades everyone is being told music is defined by one characteristic or another, it's very hard to get them to open their eyes up to anything broader than what they've been told and, uh, and this is something that's not just a, a phenomenon in country music this is also a phenomenon in blues or uh, hip-hop or uh, any other type of music or even gospel music they, they've had a big um, they've had a big situation where they're they're trying to, uh, uh, to figure out if, if, if gospel if black gospel music is an appropriate term compared to southern gospel music because these are all small terms they're synonymous with white and black but in a world where socially we're trying to push forward into a world that is not white and black, if the music's defined by terms that were created in a black and white world, how do we overcome the the system that has already been created? And so I think in 2020, I feel like there are new conversations that have been brought to the forefront. So I think we're just at the beginning of this. And I also think that in the 21st century, with it being a new a new changeover in its own type of ways in so many different regards. I think that also, the younger people that are coming up are now inheriting a history that at one point, I think, before you had mass media on the scale that we have now, there was a certain point where history could be, have taken place and it could have been pushed into the past, but with the access to information we have now, that's not as easy to do. And so there are a lot more um, people that are a lot more educated that are coming in, or they're more well-read, I'll say it that way. They're more well-read to where they're now asking questions where before I think they might not have asked as many questions about the way we talk about music or why does everybody look a certain way in a band or anything like that. I I think they're coming in with a whole new series of questions that before it was so well understood that things were a certain way that it just wasn't, it wasn't brought up in the particular ways that are being brought up right now. I think it's just a big changeover in terms of the mindsets. Yeah, I
0: think people are more able to be conscious of those old habits or those molds that we've been forced into. That's right. Whereas before in ages past, people would always have that opportunity, but it might just be on the margins. That's right. It might be if you were just exceptional and really pursued this thing and, and could find the people and talk directly to them and Think that didn't always happen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then even with the, many of the stories that I'm talking about here, a lot of, well, it's been interesting now to see people coming in and asking me more about the, you know, they, they want to know more. Well, see, before, it, to talk about a, someone like Arnold Schultz, who was a, an African-American musician who was influential on Bill Monroe, we could talk about ben, Bill Monroe and then we could talk about the story of Arnold Schultz as a side note. But now I found more people are wanting to hear the story of Arnold Schultz first, which is kind of hard because Arnold Schultz didn't make any recordings. And so to try to sidestep past Bill Monroe, who's such a pioneer of the field, to get to the story of Arnold Schultz, to me is kind of antithetical. I'm you know, i a fan of Bill Monroe, so Arnold Schultz kind of in, makes me feel better about Bill Monroe's music instead of feeling worse about it. it that's how I am as a fan. I, I can listen to Bill Monroe knowing that he knew Arnold Schultz, and I feel no less about Bill Monroe's music because he was a, a fantastic musician, a beautiful performer, a great songwriter in his own right, without this extra story. But it's been interesting to see that, that people are taking a different approach to things. I've always take, tried to take things at least with some sort of objective value where if there are if there's, um, styles and, and, and stories that fit within the style. I, I wanted to work within that and just help help add extra stories that are within that instead of trying to go against it. But, you know, when I make my music, though, of course, we're talking in great conjecture about um, the way that music's put together. But when I make my music, of course, I like it for it to speak for itself. And I like for people to be able to hear it and hear all these flavors and subtleties and tones when they just hear it without me explaining it. You know, uh, I just put a lot of thought into it before I make it. But when it's being made, it's... Uh, it, it it's its own type of uh, excitement that
0: um, goes beyond the words, you know. Dom, what is in the near future for you? What are you doing?
1: Oh wow! Well, this in the next uh, couple of weeks, I have a new single coming out. Um, um, before uh, before the big shutdown happened uh, this year, um, in December of 2019, I was touring with Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Band. Uh, <laughs>
0: They're a lot of fun. Oh
1: boy, they've been they've been good friends of mine since. 2007, we we met over at the Joshua Tree Festival, and we just became good friends, and Rev and Breezy and I um, have talked for years about doing something together. And uh, last year, I got to co-host the Blues Hall of Fame ceremony for the Blues Foundation, and I got to induct the song Shake Your Moneymaker by Elmore James into the Hall of Fame. So it was a really great moment. And then so now serendipity comes in, and during the actual blues awards ceremony, uh, Reva decided to do Shake Your Money Maker as The Big Ender Jam, and he brought a little 1952 Supra just like Elmore James played on his original recording. And so we got into a big jam, it was like a big 15 minute jam, seven harmonica players, three horns, and in the rhythm section you had little Stevie Van Zandt, Rev Peyton, and Steve Cropper just wailing in the rhythm section. And so that'll do if yeah, you, if you have to exactly. right Exactly I saw the way that the three of them were jamming and unfortunately we weren't able to get little Stevie to join us during the actual session but I got together with Rev after that that um, end of the night jam and said let's get together at Sun Records and do that let's just do that single and so about two or three weeks later we got together with the, all the our people and uh, we decided to book a session over at the old Sun Records 706 Union Avenue and uh, we got to go in there with Cropper and Rev and got to get their sound together. Uh, on bass, we had the wonderful Scott Sutherland, who just was putting down some beautiful bass, and uh, had the, the Big Damn Band uh, and Washboard Breezy and uh, Sad Max on the drums. And, uh, yeah, and then I was singing it and playing some Bones. So that's coming out in the next couple of weeks, um, and that was a beautiful bit of serendipity for that one. I just had an album, uh, or not an album, but a a wax cylinder come out. Uh, I did a wax cylinder of one of the songs from
0: Prospect Hill. Um, Now, uh, wait a minute. How many of those are you going to make? Well, we made 20 of them, so it's a very limited run. Because I know people that collect cylinders, and that, if you think about bones as being esoteric, I mean, come on.
1: Well, it was funny. We did 20 because I wasn't sure how many we'd actually sell. Because, of course, it is a very esoteric form of media. I was surprised to find that there were hundreds of people that
0: reached out that said they wanted a
1: wax cylinder. I
0: know one already. I Mm -hmm. just, right off the bat, I know somebody that would buy it.
1: And and, it was funny, too. Universities wanted to build a new section. Because a lot of the universities have wax cylinder collections. But they haven't put a new one into their collection in hundred years? <laughs> so when I put this thing out I had a lot of interest from the universities as well saying oh we want to have that in the archives so I'm gonna I gotta figure out some way to do it again because it wasn't necessarily hard to make the cylinders but there was so much interest that I hope to do it again um, let's see that was a, a big one that came out Prospectiva being reissued was a big thing that happened this year I mean granted the, it came out on February 28th and then everything shut down basically the week afterward but um, I was thankful that I got through the whole project, production, in hand before everything went down. So that was good as, yeah. in, in, a, in one sense, so all the major creative stuff. I was able to get a lot of that done earlier in the year, which was good. Um, and then one other one that's actually just a final one, um, a little reissue, um, actually speaking of the idea of um, the early roots of country music, I did a, a reissue project called Proto Billy with um, the great record collectors Hank Siposnik and Dick Spotswood. And a few years ago, uh, Dick Spotswood, he, um, he did um, a collection with Hank um, called uh, You Ain't Talking To Me on Charlie Poole's Music. And one of the discs that Hank put together was a, th- a disc of cylinder recordings of songs that Charlie Poole recorded later on. Just to show that there was a correlation where Charlie Poole is reaching into a deeper well than just folk songs. He also had Tin Pan Alley and there are many direct recordings that you can correlate with players like Charlie Poole who happened to have access to wax cylinders because of the um, the urban boom of the cotton mills at that time. Um, and so this whole set, Proto Billy, takes that idea and expands it out to um, I think it's uh, 89 different songs that are country music standards and, and brings different, song, different cylinder recordings and also shellac 78 recordings of performers performing the same song going from the 1890s to the 20s to as far as the 1940s and I have a track on there too so it goes all the way to 2014 for one of the tracks on My Money Never Runs Out so we compare that with the Gus Cannon track and then even the older two cylinder recordings that Gus Cannon conglomerated together into the song My Money Never Runs Out so it even goes into some of the details to that. So it's um, Pretty amazing, not just country, but also race records, uh, jazz, blues, and, um, and spiritual music as well. It's really a beautiful set. So that those things came out and right as this year was coming through. So these are all things that are still uh, very current in my mind.
0: It's not from a wax cylinder, but from Prospect Hill. That's Dom Fleming's with My Money Never Runs Out wrapping up our episode on the American Songster on Southern Songs and Stories. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you might reach out to someone you know who is a fan of music, history, or culture and let them know about the series. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Pandora, NPR One, pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts. And once you subscribe, it helps even more when you give it a good rating and a review top ratings, and especially your reviews will make Southern Songs and Stories and the artist profiles more likely to be found by more people just like you. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes of this podcast on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. My full interview with Dom Flemons is on video, which is linked in the show notes. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW. Our theme songs are by Joshua Ming. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories.
1: I believe my soul would touch the sky I polish people in the diamond dust Man, I don't care with this banjo bass Here's my money, don't never run out You rich fools, you are making me shout Every good evening this sweet old toast I shout Yes, I'm living good all the time Don't drink no beer and no cheap wine And I always flight, come my money, don't never run out Good evening this sweet old toast I shout Yes I'm a living a good all the time Don't drink no beer and no cheap wine and I always flight Come my money don't never run out.